My name's Joy Atkinson Lee. Right now I'm working in the government communication service. I experienced um, an aortic aneurysm. So I actually learned some skills going through what I went through um, in terms of surgery and just, you just have to have tunnel vision and you just have to see like the end in sight. I think for me personally, it was, my mindset was I'm finishing this degree. Like I look what I've been through. There's no way I'm dropping out of this university. I'm finishing this degree kind of thing. Welcome to My Leeds Story, a podcast series from the University of Leeds alumni and development team, which shines a spotlight on members of our global Leeds community. We're extremely proud of the achievements of all of our graduating students here at Leeds, but especially our class of 2020, who earned their degrees in the face of extraordinary change. We know that our graduates are keen to make a real difference in the world, and in each episode of this My Leeds Story class of 2020 podcast series, we'll be shining a spotlight on a Leeds alum who graduated in 2020. In this episode, Ed is in conversation with international development graduate Joy Akinsanmi. They discuss a number of challenges Joy faced during her degree, not least of all undergoing a major heart operation and her experiences as part of a minority ethnic group at Leeds. We find out how she managed to not just keep going, but achieve a first class degree. Hi Joy, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Um, if you're right to start by just telling us who you are and what you're up to at the moment. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, my name's Joy Akinsonmi. Right now I'm working in the government communication service on the diversity internship. And I think you can tell from the accent I'm based in London. Nice, nice. So you, you graduated in the summer with international development. Are you able to take us back to the start and your journey to Leeds, so where you came from, your school, and, and how you ended up choosing choosing Leeds to study. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I I've not had the most traditional journey through educational structures. Like, I feel like I only um, started to really enjoy and understand the power of education when I went to a college called B6, which is in Hackney. And the beautiful thing about B6 were the teachers are so passionate. So um, that kind of got me into education, like, wow, seeing the power of it and where it could take me. And they actually would take us on like open days and stuff to different universities and just seeing, wow, okay, this is, this is possible. Um, so that got me interested. And then the thing is, my education, I still was so far behind because to be quite frank, in GCSE, I just was not listening. I was very bad. <laughs> I was so naughty. I, I was... I, excluded from school multiple times like I was just bad and education was the last on my priority list so I didn't get the grades that I wanted to get into the universities that I wanted to go to so my sister's friend actually did a foundation year at Leeds and um, my sister just kind of advised me as I'm crying with my rejections from my dream universities um she advised yeah I was, I was so upset um, she she told me to pursue that and I thought, okay, I'll have a look. And I had a look and I was like, wow, okay, this could be a bit of me. So I applied. Oh, brilliant. And um, and obviously you, you, you got in and yep. once you got here, how did you find things at first? Was it uh, plain sailing or how, how were things? Well, 
when I first arrived, it was definitely a big shock to the system because, like, to be to be quite honest, and I and I said this in one of my classes in the foundation year, I genuinely did not know that I was an ethnic minority person. Like, I always wondered who ethnic minority people were because I lived in London and I was definitely not in the minority. So, coming outside of that bubble was a shock to the system. I realized, oh wow, it's me. Like, so yeah, that was. A shot of getting used to it, to be honest. How did you get used to it? If, if there was someone else, say, coming in in your situation and maybe they experienced the same culture shock you did, yeah. what would you advise them to do? How, how did you how did you kind of get used to things? I'll be completely honest because I think a lot of people do tend to pretend a little bit that it was all easy and it was just a... Honestly speaking, for my first year of the foundation year, I, I went home every week. I literally took a mega bus, a dreadful mega bus, back to London every week. Um, and I used the excuse mm. that I still had a job at a supermarket I worked in and I still kept it in London, but it was just so I could just go back. But after that, mm. I kind of realised it's not sustainable. I, I actually do really like this degree. I want to stay here. So I started to look for people and I went to places like ACS, the Afro-Caribbean Society, Black mm. Feminist Society. Um, and all these different places and I started finding amazing people and it kind of genuinely changed my um, university experience because I was just meeting amazing, amazing people. That's good to hear. It's good to hear that you you were able to sort of find your, your nation in an area that you were comfortable in. And do you, do you think that the university could do more in terms of um, people settling who have come from a, a, a minority background? I think they could do a lot more in the sense of, I think it could be done on multiple levels. Like, first of all, unfortunately still, I never saw a black academic at Leeds. They could mm -hmm. start by diversi diversifying their faculty, especially in like more senior positions. And I mm -hmm. think there's a already really brilliant things like life-saving places, like really amazing places that you can go to like the Black Feminist Society, but they're so underfunded. And on top of that, maybe just a kind of strategic kind of partnership with these societies to welcome students that are coming in because it is um, a big jump. And it probably is even harder in our current climate when, you know, there's a lot of racial tensions with like the BLM movement and stuff like that. So potentially people are even more nervous to kind of step out of their comfort zone and go to a place that they don't know if they're going to be welcome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think more could be done. In the same way, I think with international students, I think we're actually quite good at like welcoming international students. And I think um, in terms of like sending out people to meet them and stuff, I think maybe this conscious effort could be done with students that are from the UK but I'm not one. Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, um, that's a good point, isn't it? The, the, the difference there between international students and students from the UK, whether there's support there. So you, you did your foundation year um, at Leeds and then you started your course. And obviously, is, then, is it then three years on your course? Do you know what? I actually started um, with international relations and decided I preferred international development. Luckily, they mm -hmm. had the same modules in, so I could just go straight into second year. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was actually a four-year course because I did a year in industry mm -hmm. and I also did a semester abroad. Oh, wow. Where were you, for, where were you abroad then? Where did you go? 
I actually went to the University of Ghana. Ah, cool. Yeah, it was really, it was really, cool. it was actually amazing. And you got to go for second semester, and it, it I, I just love. It was one of the highlights of my degree. Like I've made friends for life from that. It was a very, very different experience. Just a little anecdote. I remember our lectures. Guess what time our lectures started? Midday. Seven a.m. Oh no. <laughs> Seven a.m. Yeah, so you know that was a big difference, um, and I obviously had to attend. And another thing was, it was so weird for me being someone that's you know just from the UK kind of thing. It was very weird to me being in a country where the whole university is black. It was just completely different, and it also gave me like a real appreciation of how kind of lucky we are in Leeds in many respects it's a lot more comfortable and that comfort can be physical comfort in the sense of i i really do think Laidlaw library is kind of like the hilton like it's so luxurious and it's so comfortable and it's like you're expected to work to that same standard but you're doing it in a much more luxurious kind of environment and i think it just made me think wow like people need to actually understand that if you're coming with top degrees from institutions that don't even have like the same level of funding that we have then i think their degree should be even more respected because i was i was struggling i was those 7am lectures and the sun it was yeah. just a lot for me um so yeah excellent excellent it's a brilliant experience to go out and do isn't it that's um, that sounds great and you, you you mentioned sort of the luxury of, of what we what we have at leeds and but your studies here weren't without their challenges. You suffer from Marfan syndrome, and obviously that affected your studies. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what happened with uh, during your time at Leeds? Yeah, so pretty much, kind of, you know, long story short, my I experienced um, an aortic aneurysm, mm. and for me, it came as a bit of a shock. I wasn't expecting to you know go through that I always at that point I always thought my marfans was something I had but it didn't really affect me like you can't tell visible and I never really felt it limited me in any way and maybe that's just potentially because of how I was raised so I was never raised to see it as a limitation just something I have but at that point it was literally threatening my existence and it was uh, very scary and, and very traumatic and exceptionally challenging and where where were you at the time when and this went on when you had your aortic aneurysm well unfortunately i actually i remember, I remember this i was i was actually during my stu um, study abroad so i was in ghana i was talking to a friend and we're literally mid-conversation i literally got a tearing sensation mm -hmm. in the chest like that's the best way i can describe it and it's the thing of i knew something was going badly wrong I just didn't know what it was. And it was just so painful that I could not stand upright. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's my head, whatever, da, da, da. And then eventually I was in, like, I tried to kind of like ignore it. The pain was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I thought, okay, I've got to go to the hospital now. And one of the students, actually one of the Ghanaian students had a car and literally drove me to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, they kept me in. And I actually do think they saved my life because they told me to seek cardiac care as soon as I get home, mm -hmm. which I did. Right, okay. And obviously, 
you then got home and you had a, an operation, is that right? So I went back and I did return to university, but I, you know, went to my GP and stuff and I started a parliamentary placement year. Mm-hmm. And during that time in London, I was kind of like getting my, uh, I was at a new GP and stuff and I was like getting them to chase up myself and whatnot. And I remember the GP was quite dismissive. Like he was like, it's probably this, it's probably that. Even though I have Marfan syndrome mm-hmm. and it's a very well-known complication of Marfan syndrome, um, GP was quite dismissive and I had to kind of like really put my foot down. I was like, no, I need to be referred. I need to see a cardiologist. I was told in Ghana, I need to see a cardiologist. Da, 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 da. Mm. And then eventually I kind of, they referred me to someone and still didn't hear anything. And then I actually presented myself in a and um, in agony oh. again, like how I felt in Ghana. Again, I was in absolute agony and I was so scared and went to A&E and I refused to leave because they still were dismissing me. And I genuinely think that conversation and the fact that I stood my ground is is definitely why I'm still alive now. Because it was only because I refused to leave. And then they kind of sped up my referral um, that I actually eventually was referred to a heart hospital. And it was, it was actually the best heart hospital in the country. It's the same one that Prince Philip's in right now. And... As soon as I was there, it was fine. They look after you so well. Like, they're literally the absolute best, but it was getting there was a challenge. So, obviously, at this, all this is going on, you're still doing your, your degree and studying. How do you, how did you keep going? How did you get through it all? Well, when that actually happened to me in terms of like the heart stuff, I was on an industrial placement year. I was actually in parliament. I was doing a parliamentary placement year. So I, it kind of, the timing of it worked out kind of perfectly in the sense of I just paused my um, placement year a bit early. They were very understanding and very accommodating. And then I went and had my operation. I don't think I realized, even then, okay, at this point, I knew how sick I was. And I knew that this is getting to the stage that if there's not an intervention, this 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 is how people with my friends used to die 20 years ago, right? But I had the operation and I kind of, I actually contacted um, the polis team um, whilst I was still recovering and I contacted them. Um, I just told them, this, like, this is my situation. I'm letting you know ahead of time because I'm probably going to need more support than usual. And they were really, really good. And um, I also registered with the um, disabled students and they were good. I came back, I was so well supported, especially by the police office. Like without a doubt, I can honestly say, if I didn't have that level of support that I had from the police office, I would not finish my degree. Um, on top of that, like my GP, I, I genuinely believe, and I think he thinks I'm just trying to flatter him. No, I'm being serious. Like, I genuinely believe I have the best GP that there ever was. Seriously, like, he was my GP at the lead student medical practice. And he literally had my back. Like, he set up different things for me to, like, make sure that my health was okay whilst I was in Leeds. Advocated for me so much. Always, always. I just felt safe, you know? And, and so I had these different teams that were just kind of working um, to make sure that I felt safe and I was safe and 
and and that's how I managed to come back. And and that being said, again, I don't want to present stuff as like some magical fairy tale because it it wasn't easy. It was extremely challenging, and I did have to take a break at some point because I, I got a bit unwell. But then again, the police office supported me. They let me know that listen, if you need to like any help with this or if you need to let us know. And they accommodated me and they never made me feel guilty and they never made me feel like I was like, you know, asking for too much or did anything. They always accommodated me and and then I, I kind of, you know, I pushed on. That's um that's so so good to hear anyway, that the, the police office helped you and and it's amazing that you were able to to complete your studies, so um, well done for that in, in the circumstances. And, uh, and then, of course, COVID-19 hit. Just look, yeah. have a break, please. Can somebody give <laughs> a break? What is this? So did you, did you um, what did you do when, when COVID hit? No, I, I completed um, the rest of my degree actually as an external student. Um, and so I was already in London. I actually learned some skills going through what I went through um, in terms of surgery and just you just have to have tunnel vision and you just have to see like the end in sight and you just have to kind of I think for me personally it was my mindset was I'm finishing this degree like I look what I've been through there's no way I'm dropping out of this university I'm finishing this degree kind of thing and again and I think this people don't tend to realize this I had so much support, you know, I wasn't doing it by myself. Like even my family, my friends, like I was so well supported in every aspect that it made things a lot easier for me. And I think it just kind of made me realize like if people just got the support that they needed, then I think so much could be possible for so many different people because I got all of that support. So mm-hmm. that's brilliant. But you know what, I, to be quite honest with you, for me, it's never like, oh, this all happened to me. It's like, I just felt so grateful that, wow, I was kind of saved, mm. you know? Like, I didn't die. Like, I experienced a lot of dreadful things, a lot of traumatic things. Like, I was in a ventilator and stuff like that. Mm. And in this current COVID crisis, seeing ventilators on TV is, is quite traumatic, to be honest. Mm. But at the end of the day, I'm just so... I'm just just happy to be here and I think probably I just I had a, a very kind of strong attitude of gratitude and I think that probably comes from I'm from a I'm from a Quaker family it was just kind of a thing my mum just really encouraged me she was like you know as I was like even waiting for surgery she was like go to a mindfulness go to meditation and I literally was at mindfulness meditation mm. classes and and just just in gratitude and stuff like that because I think once you start to kind of think negatively, like, why did this happen to me? Oh, this is so It robs you um, of your happiness. Mm. And I'm just not willing to do mm. that because at the end of the day, I'm here. Mm. And I think that it sounds like that, that attitude that you come out of it with in terms of, I've been through this, I can do anything, kind of sits you in good stead, doesn't it? For, yeah. for anything that comes your way next. Yeah, it does. And, and so once you're, and obviously this internship you're doing now, is it a fixed term thing? Yeah, it's a six-month internship. Um, it would be great if my contract is extended, but I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. So I am like looking for, you know, other stuff. What kind of areas are you looking at? Are you, is it related to your degree or? I, 
do you know what? Like before I did this internship, I didn't really ever consider communications, but I actually really enjoy communications. So I would ideally like to probably continue working in communications or policy. And I'm actually quite interested in quite a few areas. I, evidently, I'm interested in health. Yeah. Um, anything to do with like social politics, anything like that. Um, it would definitely. I'd want to keep it in the civil service. Um, yeah. So that's kind of yeah my interests. And you've been um, doing some volunteering as well, is that right? I've been volunteering with the British Heart Foundation as a patient advocate for over a year now. And I decided to do that because I really wanted to kind of use my experiences and in effect my trauma to be able to kind of advocate for other people. And also, I thought it was really important to be present in research spaces so you could ask questions about, right, have we considered this in a more diverse way? Like, how can we include people from different groups? Like, to just be that voice, because I do find that oftentimes in medical research, those voices don't appear to be present. And that has real world, real life consequences for people that are black, Asian or minority ethnic. So I did that for those reasons. And also I did that because I really don't want anybody else to experience what I experienced. Brilliant. Well, well thank you very much for, for speaking to us. Your story is, is really interesting and a really good, good one to hear. So, and it is nice that it's had a really happy ending. So thanks again. and, and uh, Hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. You've been listening to My Lead Story, a podcast series brought to you by the alumni and development team at the University of Leeds. For more stories about our global Leeds community, why not visit our website, alumni.leeds.ac.uk or join us on social media at Leeds Alumni. And if you've got a Leeds story that you'd like to share, email us at alumni at leeds.ac.uk. Thank you.